Well, good morning, and happy almost New Year. Um, it is a little bit crazy to think about the fact that we are at the end of another year. These years just seem to just continue to go by faster and faster, and here we are on the final day of 2017. Also, the last day that I will be writing the date correctly for the next four months. But luckily, we've got a seven, which is pretty easy to turn into an eight. You can just kind of come back around. Um, and uh, so you can kind of cover up your mistake and make it look a little bit less obvious. Um, going from 2016 to 2017 was a little bit more difficult. You had to actually have a whole cross out there and make everything look all messy. Um, but this year, I mean, it's been, it's been quite a year. I mean, it seems like this year, and I don't know if it's just because this is the most current year, but it seems like this year was a bit more of a roller coaster of a year than previously. You know, in our world, in our society, there's been a lot of ups and downs over the last year. And a lot of kind of big controversial things seem to have happened over the last year. Things that have been, you know, really divisive in, in our culture and in our world. And, you know, 2017 isn't going out quietly either. You know, we're kind of wrapping up 2017 with another issue that uh, has, has come up and has been, again, pretty divisive. You know, I haven't seen an issue as divisive as this in, I feel like, in quite some time. You know, it's something that's really kind of turned, uh, you know, brother against brother, friend against friend, um, you know, parent against child in some sense. Um, and, of course, I'm talking about the recently released Star Wars The Last Jedi. <laughs> um, depending upon who you ask, uh, especially if you ask, you know, a Star Wars fan, you may get a wildly different response when you ask somebody <clears throat> what they thought about this movie. Um, and without putting any spoilers out there for those of you who haven't seen uh, the movie yet, um, I just want to give you an example of some of the wide varieties of opinions that are out there about this movie. And I don't know if you can read some of these up here, but on the, up in the top corner there, that's the Rotten Tomatoes score, which is a website that kind of gives a score of the average um, movie review. It has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. But then you look at sort of the movie viewer score, and it's 52%. Um, but then you move over to like, the other side, where the IMDb score is 7.8. You know, so viewers are giving it almost an 80% on that site. And cinema score, you know, their score is giving it an A. Uh, but then you read through some of the comments that people are making about here, and they range. They run the gamut from, you know, this one where it says, it was a fantastic film, four and a half stars, to somebody saying, one star, disappointing. And my favorite comment I'm here from the negative side is, don't go see Star Wars if you cherish your childhood. <laughs> That's one of, my, one of my favorite from the negative side. So I love the movie, personally. I, you know, I'm a big fan. It's one of my favorites. And my completely unbiased and objective conclusion on this matter is this, that people who watched this movie with very specific and rigid, I would say rigid, expectations of what the story should have looked like, hated it. You know, their favorite fan theory didn't pan out or something along those lines. They had very specific expectations around where the story should have gone, and it didn't go that direction, and they hated it. People who went into the movie, like me, <laughs> people who went into the movie and were willing to let new characters be new, let the story go in a new direction, let it be a new story, 
liked it, and for some people, loved it. And I bring this up uh, because it's really interesting how expectations that we carry into a situation impact what our experience of that situation is like. For example, I don't know if this is true of you, if I watch a movie at home on TV, my sort of standard in terms of being entertained is much lower than if I go watch a movie in the theater. So if I'm watching something at home for free or I'm paying a couple of bucks to watch it on demand, I'm much more likely to kind of be entertained by that than if I spend 10 or 15 bucks going to a movie theater. And because I, you know, if I'm spending that much money and going out, then I have, a, a, I have higher expectations going into that situation. So it's harder for me to be pleased with that experience. And that's what it's like with us. That's what it's like for us in life, really. The expectations that we carry into a situation have a huge impact on how we experience that circumstance. <clears throat> and we're going to spend some time today talking a little bit more broadly about this idea of expectations and how they impact us. And it's appropriate for a variety of reasons for us to be talking about this idea of expectations today. As Robin mentioned um, during our time of uh, worship and music this morning, you know, New Year's, as we head into a new year, it's a time where we look back, and it's also a time where we start to look forward, and we start thinking about what is this new year going to bring? <clears throat> and we may have some expectations on what the new year is going to look like. Maybe some of you in here have made some New Year's resolutions going into the new year, and maybe you have an expectation that by January 3rd, you'll still be keeping those New Year's resolutions. Um, if you are, you're probably much, a much better person than me. Um, but uh, we are carrying expectations into the new year. Also, whether we realize it or not, we all carry a lot of expectations with us, really constantly. And those expectations have a huge impact on how we experience life. And more importantly, most importantly, they have an impact on how we experience our faith, and how we live out our faith. So it's important for us to spend some time to intentionally evaluate what are our expectations of life and our expectations of God and how God, how we feel God should be at work in our lives and the world. And are those expectations in line with who God really is and how God really does work. And if they're not, what does that mean for us? But first, let's talk about just some realities, some, rea some real-world realities of expectations that are just true um, uh, of all of our expectations. The first one we've already touched on a little bit this morning is that expectations govern our experiences. How we feel about an experience in our life is often very dependent upon the expectations that we carried into that experience. Many years ago, uh, we came to the realization that we should not try to surprise my son, Owen, <laughs> with things. Um, and we came to that re uh, realization when the, one, the first time we took our kids to Disney World we decided that we were going to make this a big surprise. We weren't going to tell them. Um, we were going to wake them up in the morning, and we were just going to say, hey, morning, we're going to the airport, we're going to Disney World, and we expected this huge, just like, oh, this is amazing, I can't believe it, like tears of joy, things like that. We got tears 
knots, tears of joy. Um, so, you know, we woke them up in the morning and we said, hey, we're going to Disney World. And he, he lost it. <laughs> you know, he was a lot younger than he is now, but he just lost it. It had like a complete meltdown and not lost it in terms of, I'm so happy, I can't believe I'm going to Disney World. But like, this is so different than what I expected my morning to look like. And I can't really handle this. And it just, you know, and what we came to the realization is, you know, through that and other experiences was that when we would say to him, hey, I have a surprise for you, or hey, we're going to do something special, or hey, immediately he would form an expectation in his mind of what that thing is. And if it wasn't, if what we were going to actually do was different than what that expectation was, he would be upset by it. Even if that thing were going to Disney World, (laughs) even if it were something that were so much better than what that expectation was, because it wasn't in line with the expectations that he had formed, he couldn't really enjoy or appreciate what it was that we were doing. And, you know, that's sort of an extreme example, but that's kind of what we do. You know, we have, when we have expectations of a situation, if what that situation actually is like is very different than those expectations, it has a drastic impact on the positivity or negativity of how we're experiencing that. Second reality of expectations is this. We don't often know that we have expectations until those expectations go unmet. This is especially true, you know, as we, especially for like newly married couples. Um, You know, you go into marriage and you don't even realize the expectations you're carrying into your marriage of, of what, your, what marriage life is going to be like, of what your spouse is going to do or not do, until the first time one of you walks in and grabs the toothpaste by the wrong spot. And I don't know if you're a bottom-up uh, squeezer or if you're just like, wherever I pick it up, that's where I squeeze it. I'm a wherever I pick it up person. Uh, of course, now we have one of those like solid tubes that doesn't matter where you pick it up. But um, as soon as that first expectation gets, gets sort of violated, quote-unquote, you start to realize, wait a minute, this isn't what, this isn't how things are supposed to be. And you start to realize that I'm carrying a whole lot of expectations into this relationship, and it's impacting how I'm experiencing that relationship. But we, didn't, we weren't conscious of those expectations. It's not like we went into marriage thinking, like, now, this is the correct way to roll the toothpaste. You know, we don't think about those things until the expectations that we have don't get met. And that's oftentimes very true of our faith as well. We don't oftentimes think consciously of the ways that we feel like God should be at work in our lives until all of a sudden God doesn't respond to a situation the way that we expected him to, the way that we think he should have. And that kind of sends us into a little bit of a tailspin. And figuring out, what do I do with that? How do I make sense of that? The last reality, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but the last reality of expectations I want to hit on is this. It's impossible to be truly grateful for a met expectation. Think about that for a second. What does it mean if I expect something from you? If I expect something from you, in essence, that means you kind of, I kind of feel like you owe that to me. That you kind of, you know, that this is something that I deserve. That this is something that I have a right to. And if you, it, I really, I mean, I really can't be grateful for somebody giving me something that they owe me. I mean, I might say thank you because we want to be polite 
and we want, you know, we want to be cordial, but really, deep down inside, I'm not really feeling gratitude towards that person or towards that, towards whatever the situation is, if it's just simply meeting an expectation of mine. Now, you can be grateful for desires. We can be grateful for when desires are met. Um, and, you know, if there's something that I really strongly, you know, I really strongly have a desire for, whether it's what my marriage will look like or what my kids will be doing with their lives or that they'll be successful or I have a desire to be financially secure, all of those things are good desires. But if I also, if, I, if, if it's a desire, I have, the rec- I have sort of this understanding that it's not something that's promised to me. And if that desire is met, I can appreciate it. But if it's an expectation... When it doesn't happen, I start to get really upset. I mean, it's kind of like our approach to a vending machine, right? I mean, you're not, you put your money into a vending machine, and you get your Cheetos out, or you know, whatever. You're not thankful. You don't thank the vending machine. You're not appreciative of it, right? You put money in. You deserve to get that little snack out of there. Now, you put money into a vending machine, and that little thing goes, and your snack falls out and just tilts against the glass, and doesn't fall, how angry do you get in that scenario? Especially if that's the last change that you have, and you're like, ah, oh. you know, and how you handle that anger, or how you communicate it, or, you know, may, or how you express it may vary from person to person, but you certainly aren't happy when that happens. But then again, you take that on the flip side, and you put money in, and two things comes out of the vending machine. Now, there's a desire right there, and you could be grateful for that. But the idea is here that you can't, we can't really be appreciative. We can't really be grateful for a, for a met expectation because the attitude that we're carrying into that is, you owe me this. I deserve this. So and if this is kind of how we transition this over to how we view God and how God should be at work in our lives, it's really hard for us to really be grateful for blessings that God gives to us if we are viewing them as expectations. Now, while all of these things are realities, we can really sum these things up by saying this. We all have expectations. And many of those expectations that we have really aren't all that thought out. And this applies to expectations we have of life, and this applies to expectations that we have of God. But oftentimes, and this is kind of one of the ultimate realities we need to talk about today, in our lives, when we're faced with situations, we are, it, oftentimes we are going to be faced with situations in our lives where how God acts doesn't line up with our expectations of him. And what do we do with that? John the Baptist found himself in that situation in the passage that we read a little bit earlier today. Um, and just a little background on that situation. John had been... He was sort of the forerunner of Jesus. He was going before Jesus, proclaiming the Messiah's coming, proclaiming the kingdom of God, telling people to repent, baptizing people. Um, And also throughout this time, he was, one of the other things he was doing, he was calling out Herod because Herod had married the wife of his brother Herodias. And he was calling out Herod and saying, Herod, what you're doing is sinful, marrying the brother of your wife. Herod, not a big fan of John and what he was saying. So he decides he throws John in prison. And now Jesus is on the scene and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's doing miracles. And John 
still sits in prison. Jesus' ministry is in full swing, and John, the forerunner of Jesus, is still sitting in prison. And that's when he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him this question. He says, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, there's a, a few different interpretations of what, where this question is coming from. You know, um, the one interpretation says that John himself is questioning the legitimacy of Jesus as the Messiah, basically saying, is this right? Was I right about you? Are you really the one who, you know, who we should be expecting in light of his circumstances, in light of the fact that he's still sitting in prison? Um, another interpretation is that John wasn't really doubting who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but his disciples were beginning to question. And so he sent his disciples to Jesus as a way of sort of getting some reassurance that Jesus was indeed the, the Messiah, that it wasn't John who was doubting, but his disciples, and that's why he sent them. Another interpretation is that they weren't, neither John nor his disciples, they weren't really in doubt over whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, but they were becoming a little bit frustrated with the methods or the timetable. Uh, of Jesus. You know, the expectation was that the Messiah would utter, uh, would usher in sort of a political revolution and set up an earthly kingdom. And this wasn't what Jesus was doing. And John was still sitting in prison and John was growing frustrated with the timetable. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of where this question is coming from, because the reality is regardless of the interpretation, the reality is that what Jesus was actually doing was very different from what many people thought the Messiah would be doing. Um, Many people expected, as I said, the Messiah to usher in this political revolution and establish this earthly kingdom. And John, whether for himself or on behalf of his followers, is voicing that disappointment. Which brings us to the question, what do we do? What do we do when our expectations of what God should be doing, how God should be working in our lives in the world, is very different than what God is actually doing? <clears throat> when John sees the disconnect between expectations and reality, he brings that question directly to Jesus. And this needs to be our first step as well. We need to be honest about our disappointments. We need to openly and honestly communicate our disappointments to God, bring them to him. He's not scared one of my kids' favorite TV commercials um, that every time it comes on uh, TV, they make me rewind it and show it to them over and over again. I want to show it to you real quick. Number one in customer satisfaction over cable for 17 years running. But some people still like cable, just like some people like wet grocery bags, getting a bad haircut, overcrowded trains, turnstiles that don't turn, and spilling coffee on themselves. We watch that, I mean, you watch that commercial, and it's obviously ridiculous, right? The fact that anybody could enjoy these things that are happening to them. Um, but I feel like this sort of illustrates what we're like as Christians sometimes when things are frustrating, when things are different than what we expect, when something is sort of shaking us, even to the core of who we are. We're just fine. We're fine. You know, that's going to, you know, you ask, you know, how many times have you said fine this morning? You know, when somebody says, hey, how are you doing this morning? I'm fine. How are you? You know, that's you know, our go-to answer all of the time. And chances are, at least a lot of us in this room 
aren't feeling all that fine. Um, but we put it out there as if we are. We're not really people, a lot of the times, that are very honest about where we're at and our disappointments. John wasn't fine. You know, John is not sitting in prison just saying, this is great. You know, I'm really, you know, I'm really happy with, with, with my position that I've had here as the forerunner of the Messiah. You know, and ultimately we know, if you don't know, spoiler alert, what happens to John, he doesn't get out of prison, he ends up getting executed. So this is the forerunner of the Messiah, you know, probably ending up in a very different place than where he thought he would. And he's not fine about it. And he's honest, and he brings that disappointment to Jesus as we need to. And then we need to be open to a possible adjustment of our perspective. Uh, several months ago, uh, the youth uh, discovery class, we spent a term of our discovery class listening to people tell their deconversion stories. And if, you haven't, if you're not familiar with that term, a deconversion story, it's basically somebody talking about the circumstances, the things in their life that led to them basically saying, I'm done. I don't, I don't, I don't ha- want to be a part of faith anymore. I don't want to be part of belief in God anymore. People talking about why they decided to walk away from the faith. And we spent some time listening to those stories, and we spent some time letting students kind of talk about if these are things that they've ever wondered or, or asked, and talking about what a biblical response to some of these stories look like. <clears throat> and I'm not going to go completely into that right now, but I just want to talk real quickly about one theme that I noticed a lot in terms of a lot of these people telling their stories about why they walked away from faith. Very few times did somebody have sort of a factual, rational reason why they couldn't, you know, couldn't believe anymore. Oftentimes it came down to something that was a very sort of emotional response. And there oftentimes also wasn't really an openness to hear any sort of alternative perspective when it came to their story. Um... And have a look at Jesus' response to John's question when he asks this question to Jesus. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell them what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. I don't know about you, but if I'm John in this situation, this answer feels very unsatisfying to me. Because we already know that John has heard about Jesus' ministry. John, this isn't new information to John. John's not going to hear this and be like, oh, well, I didn't know that all these things were happening. All right, then. But what Jesus is saying here is basically, John, this was what the ministry of the Messiah was supposed to look like all along. And it's even a reminder of some Old Testament prophecies that Jesus is fulfilling here. Just a couple of examples. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6 says this, Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then Isaiah 61, verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Just as Jesus says, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus is pointing back to the Old Testament to say, John, 
what I am doing is always what I was supposed to be doing. This is the ministry of the Messiah. What needs to change is what you thought that would look like. In essence, he's saying, John, this is always what I was supposed to be doing. So something, and this is something that really all of us as believers need to come to terms with, is that oftentimes our expectations of God and how God should work in the world and in our lives, oftentimes those expectations are wrong. One of my favorite quotes by a pastor and author named Tim Keller is this, where he says this, if, you, uh, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. He basically says, you know, the reality of God should challenge us. I mentioned earlier that objections to God that we heard in those deconversion stories that we listened to, oftentimes those objections included statements like this, I just can't believe in a God who blank you know, fill in the blank, a God who acts this way or doesn't act this way or does this or doesn't do this or a God who requires this of me. I just can't believe in a God who, and you know, there was a variety of reasons that somebody would finish that statement though. But here's the thing, and it's an important thing and it's something that's really easy for us to kind of overlook. If God is real, and I believe he is, obviously I'm up here talking about it, many of you do too. If God is real, I don't get to decide what he is like. Saying that, if I can't believe in a God that blank, saying that doesn't mean that God suddenly stops being real because his existence makes me uncomfortable. But his existence may challenge something in me that feels like a core part of who I am or a core part of something that I believe. Sam Alberry is another pastor and author, and it's really quite compelling to hear him speak. And his story is really quite unique. He describes himself as a Christian who has same-sex attractions, and he's chosen to live a life of singleness in order to live in obedience to God's design for sexuality. And he speaks very powerfully about this idea, not just as it applies to himself, But as it applies to all Christians, this is what he says. Jesus says, all of us need to reorient our lives at the deepest level. And therefore, for any of us, discipleship is going to be costly. Discipleship is going to be hard. There are things that we are going to have to turn around from that feel fundamental to who we are. And a little, like in the same talk, he goes on to say, like, if you're somebody here, and you feel like the gospel has sort of just really, has sort of slotted very neatly into your life and hasn't really required much in the way of change for you, then it might not be the gospel of Jesus that you're actually following. I encourage you to, listen, to look him up. He's got some videos on YouTube and he's really, it's really great to listen to him speak because he really has this understanding that following Jesus is costly. And if we, are go- if we are to follow him faithfully, it's going to require some core heart-level changes on our part. The existence of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ by its nature and design is meant to challenge us at the core of who we are. Expectations we have of God will be challenged. And we are going to have to respond 
to those challenges. Listen to how Jesus ends his answer to John in verse 6. And tell him, John, he's like, tell John, he's saying to his disciples, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Jesus knew that some people would turn away because how he was acting in the world was different than how they expected him to be acting in the world. Just like today, people turn away because I can't believe in a God who would do this or require this or respond in this way or not respond in this way. Jesus knew that people would turn away because who God is is different than what we, as in our human understanding, expect God to be. And we have that choice when faced with something from Jesus that challenges us at our core. Do we turn away? Or do we embrace the limitations of our understanding? Not being able to comprehend why God is the way he is doesn't mean that he can't be that way. And that's the message that Jesus sends back to John. Blessed is the person that doesn't stumble over me. Blessed is the person that doesn't turn away because of me, because of what they expect me to be, but submits to who he is. Doesn't turn away because of what I expected him to be, but I'm going to, I want to submit to who he really is. So as we wrap up our time together, I just want to leave us with a couple of questions for us to be thinking about. As we head into the new year, as we think about expectations for the coming year, as we look back at maybe how God has or has not responded to us, how he has met or not met expectations, these are some questions for us to be thinking about and evaluating what are these expectations that I'm carrying with us. The first question is this, in what ways is your faith dependent upon God acting in certain specific ways in your life or the world? What are the things that if God either doesn't maintain or God doesn't respond or God doesn't do this, I would have a hard time continuing on in my faith? Whether it's my health, the health of my children, financial security, um, the health of my marriage, um, the, my relationship with my kids, you know, whatever the, the thing is, what, is it the thi- what are the things that we say, or we, that we know, if God doesn't intervene or respond or do something very specific here, it's going to be hard for me to continue on in faith. The second question is this. Are these things, are these things that God has actually promised you? Because the reality is God hasn't promised us health. God hasn't promised us financial security. God hasn't promised us much of what, especially we as Americans, have come to take for granted as realities in our lives. <clears throat> when I was um, a while, a year and a half or so ago, uh, I had come to a point where I was employed somewhere, a place I was employed for a long time, and that job was coming to an end. And I didn't know what was going to happen after that. You know, I didn't have sort of a guarantee of being employed after that. I didn't know what, what would life look like for me or our family. And I can't, you know, it was a realization to come to that recognize that there was no promise there for me 
that God, God doesn't say to me, you will always have a job. And there was a prayer, sort of like a reminder to myself, but also a prayer that I would just be praying over and over and over again throughout that time. And that was this, I am not in control. I said, God, just remind me, I am not in control. I am not in control. I am not in control. And you are in control. And that was hard. And, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I did find another job, and that was great. But, you know, it didn't necessarily have to go that way. And we're not promised a lot of the things that we take for granted. So in light of that, what do we do if God doesn't respond in a way that we feel like he should? And that leads us to this last question is, what might it look like to trust God and submit to him even if he didn't fulfill those expectations? Are we able to, as we sang earlier this morning, to, to pray to God, to sing to God, to asking him to reign in me? When that reign doesn't feel all that good and isn't in line with how with what I feel like the bargain is that I made with God. And this is a tough question, and it's not something that gets answered, you know, in a 30-minute message, but it's something that we wrestle with moving forward for days and weeks and months and really years to come, and we constantly come back around and wrestle with it again and again every time a new situation comes up. But my prayer is that it's something that we will be willing to wrestle with with God and not turn away and give up on him because of it. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are thankful for you and the, the, the fact that you are at work in our lives, that you are present with us each and every day, each and every moment, God. And even though those, what that work looks like and what your presence looks like and what it feels like isn't always in line with how we would have written it, how we would have scripted it, God, help us to just trust that it's good and help us to know that you are good and you desire our growth, you desire good things for us, God. And I pray that even as we seek to seek and desire to believe in you, that you would help us in our unbelief as well, as we all struggle with at certain times in our lives. And thank you that you don't walk away from us and that you are always faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.